All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast. My name is Alex Davis, and this is accompanying edition number 892. And uh, we took a week off because we had a rethink shindig last week. So I saw these menches in person. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty weird, right? Yeah, still weird. recovering. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. It's a, nice, it's a nice shindig in the Bristol Hotel. But uh, yeah, very strange looking around and, and seeing, you know, maybe 50 people. Um, but no, it was, it was a good time. I think it was it was good to reconnect. But uh, yeah, that was last week. But but this week it's been well, it's been interesting. I think from my perspective. But Tommy, has it been busy? Has it been busy in the world of pay TV Ooh, news? Oh, I think it has been quite busy. Um, yeah, I was off gallivanting this week, doing a moderating a webinar um, outside of Rethink with uh, Veromatrix, Broadpeak, Nordia, and EKT, which was fun. Not sure they'll invite me back after some of the mean questions I asked them. <laughs> Uh, that's what I'm there for but I wanted to talk about this week I want to talk about uh, Think Analytics which is the world's uh, most widely deployed recommendation engine provider Um, chances are if you've ever been served a recommendation it was done by Think Analytics and this week it has announced the integration of its content discovery and view engagement platform with Amazon Personalize which Sounds harmless initially because people announce integrations with um, AWS every day. But this particular press release sent uh, alarm bells ringing here at Faultline um, due to the commoditization of recommendations software. Because why would Think Analytics start offering its customers access to algorithms that are ultimately competing with its own algorithms? So to try and answer that, we um, looked back at two years to when Amazon made personalized generally available to AWS customers for the first time. And it released these algorithms, which are trained and tuned in the Amazon.com retail business um, to AWS customers. And, and w- here they were they were kind of more suited to recommending uh, products, I don't know, toilet seats, not movies. And um, at the same time, Amazon was talking about creating this single master personalization algorithm to to rule them all sounds rather dystopian doesn't it and and i mean the early resistance from people in the industry kind of proved that amazon personalize wasn't very popular despite trying to create something almost ubiquitous to serve up recommendations whether it's video or music or news or whatever it is um but as a result of, of trying to to remove those silos it was removing the value in each recommendation served which is why um we we're concerned so the fact that think analytics has kind of bowed to amazon personalize is is kind of evidence that people are starting to take notice of um of the technology in media and ent- entertainment and it kind of suggests that it's not just good at retail it is actually doing um some quite effective things in uh, in the m e space um because clearly think is reacting to customer demand here and people have been questioned questioning before whether it would be any good so i think we've got our answer but fundamentally i think there's no nice way of dressing it up because by offering what think analytics says are complementary algorithms to customers that still eats into its share of the recommendation pie of which it's got quite a substantial um uh, share of it so um i spoke to uh think analytics cto Peter, who kind of wanted to play down the idea of algorithm wars. And he was telling me that um, letting customers choose which AI algorithms they want to use is a good thing, as each algorithm has its um, 
has its strengths and its weaknesses. But it's interesting that he then pointed to the Think Insight platform where personalization can take on many forms, uh, be it metadata enhancement, UI or UX, composer tools, editorial control and real domain analytics. And in other words, he was saying that while it's OK that Amazon is commoditizing part of the recommendation industry, it's OK because we've diversified our off offering into areas that Amazon can't really touch yet being the key word. So two years ago, we ran the, the headline Amazon personalized threatens to derail recommendations industry. And while you could argue that recommendations haven't been totally derailed today, we do know that some of the value has been sucked out of personalization. So I think analytics jumping into bed with Amazon might sound like a win-win situation for everyone, but I can kind of broadly speaking, I think it's bad for the wider industry and the increasing influence of Amazon Personalize in media and entertainment will, will kind of force smaller vendors to either diversify, do other things or get squashed. Yeah, and I, I mean, Rafi and I butted into I think what Amazon would assert when we were looking at um, you know customer journey management, like all that software that that helps the backend stuff, and like I was adamant that the public cloud providers were just going to like swallow all the teeny weeny vendors, and and if it didn't mean buying them, it just meant you know copying them and then undercutting them. Mm -hmm. But but that whole industry were were pretty adamant that no 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 they just want to they just want to do the bare metal stuff they just want to be the hardware. I think I still think it's a bit naive. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But yes, I think you're right there, Tommy. I don't, I don't think consolidation is, is excellent here. But uh, excellent stuff. All right, thank you, Tommy. We'll move on to our next thank one. You. So this is Rafi. It's Rafi's turn. So Amino flips hardware addiction to its advantage in Japan with Optage. So Rafi, can you tell us more, please? Yeah, sure. So um, it's no secret that Amino is trying to wean itself off of uh, hardware being like the bread and butter of its business. Uh, it's had this kind of long-term target has been public for a while uh, it wants 250 million revenues by 2025 it wants 70 percent of them to be recurring um, and from that target of 250 million it's currently on 82.7 million as of 2020 uh, and it's seeing seven percent growth uh we saw seven percent growth over the past year but clearly you know a long way to go before it reaches that and it's adamant that software is the key um like uh, it acquired Tony for i in 2019 as a big software developer and its software segment is growing way faster than the hardware segment but you know the company has in a lot of its pr and stuff has made it clear that you know software is the way forward and therefore this kind of new announcement with uh, this regional japanese cable company Optage or Optage seems a bit uh, i guess kind of rogue or against the grain of what they were preaching because the main or the main kind of selling point was that uh, Amino was selling these 7X set-top boxes or, or they're, kind of, they're kind of like mini set-top. It's kind of like a cross between a set-top box and a connected TV device, I guess. Um, but so, yeah, I kind of saw this and thought, hmm, this kind of seizures against the plan. But then we got to talk to the senior vice president of sales and marketing, I believe, uh, James McKinley, who kind of put forward a very convincing case that uh, if, while Amino is trying to ditch or at least rely less on hardware, hardware is still going to be a very valuable tool in selling all its software. Um, so for starters, just a bit of background on Optage. It's a regional utility cable company in Japan. Uh, James said that essentially just trying to boost their ARPU by providing OTT video. Um, and it was pretty classic kind of run of the mill 
deal for Amino. Um, and there's a potential of up to 1.8 million households, roughly speaking. Uh, they confirmed 1.6 million in 2016. Um, and James tells us that Optage initially came to Amino just for the hardware. They essentially just wanted the set-top boxes, but Amino was able to pitch the importance of having like a whole Android TV software environment. Um, and kind of it was this, you know, uh, Optage definitely had the option of going with much cheaper vendors, like James admitted, Amino are far from the, the cheapest on the market. Uh, but what they were able to push was that you need kind of the whole integrated environment and kind of the two key pillar software offerings were Amino OS, uh, which actually integrates Android TV onto the devices and offers things like multicast channels, integrations, emergency messaging and network PVR. And then more interestingly is the other side of things, which is almost like a sort of OSS BSS type offering is Amino Engage, which kind of does device management and support um, as a SaaS platform for all those things. It can do remote installations and maintenance. Um, obviously, this can reduce truck rolls, which uh, James noted there's often a lot of point that once an operator integrates Android TV for the first time, there's a lot of pointless call outs when people are just adjusting to a new UI, essentially, and they think they've lost their channels or their recording. And then you spend a lot of money and hours sending someone around just to show them where something is on the remote, essentially. Um, and then instead, you can just get someone in a call center to view exactly what's going on on the box and do it all remotely. Uh, they've also managed to reduce support call durations with this as well. So another KPI that's really valuable for operators. Um, and it can also deliver updates remotely and segment these updates for like a staggered delivery. Often uh, updates can go a bit awry if you try to do the whole device footprint in one go. Um, so it can submit them accordingly and stagger them. And it's also got a rollback feature, which means you can, you know, if you do an update and it proves buggy on some segments, you can just essentially turn back the clock. Um, and yeah, what's interesting about this is that Engage is only really offered to some, to a hardware customer in some form. And they're not, they're not completely strict about this because you don't necessarily have to buy the Amino uh, set tops or boxes in order to get engaged but you definitely if you're not buying an amino box you have to buy from an oem that has licensed amino os anyway so amino they're not just giving out free to any operator you kind of you know you need to be involved somehow and that's kind of uh what we're getting at really when saying you know maybe hardware isn't you know maybe they're not necessarily turning back um or doing a huge u-turn maybe this is actually part of the wider strategy um and just looking more broadly, this is like a, it's just interesting seeing an Android TV deployment in Japan because it's always at least been seen as quite a slow moving country and uptaking OTT, um, especially for someone that's so technologically advanced. Um, but most of the major operators now do have at least kind of one Android TV operating and clearly now it's moving down to like the next tier down of more regional operators such as Optage. Uh, KDDI has an IPTV Android TV setup. Um, NTT Tacoma has a Huawei made uh, Android TV TV terminal and Jcom has an Android TV platform that runs on Humax and Sumitomo hardware. Uh, SoftBank is really the only anomaly of the kind of top tier of operators. Uh, although we did find a press release from 2015 saying they had a Nexus player media hub with Android TV, but there's been no word since then um, of any of the type. But yeah, it was interesting. James said Japan is really the perfect market for Kind of what amino is bringing to the table because obviously it's a kind of, it's a value added offering in a sense and obviously it costs more but he said japan is a market that respects this and the bottom line is slightly less important especially compared to a lot of other markets and apac um yeah that was all just just hearing how amino are getting on in japan
Mm-hmm. And and the entire time you were on the on the call with uh, Amino Rafi, they were putting the finishing touches on a on a deal to acquire Nordia, and I, I can't believe that they didn't give you a heads up. So uh, oh yeah, no, no heads up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the snakes. But uh, yeah, all right. Thanks very much, Rafi. Yeah, vertical integration. Um, it's always a way to boost the ARPU, but it also boosts your headaches. Um, which, yeah, is vaguely topical, I guess, for, for, for my turn, which was uh, Warner Disco tempts Comcast as leadership questions surface. And the, the reason I, I bring up the vertical integration thing um, is that when, when the news dropped last week, and we've had like a week to see the, the dust settle, um, Tommy quite rightly um, um, trashed the goal of 400 million um, subscribers. Uh, and um, so we pointed out that uh, AT&T had realized that they're trying to vertically integrate uh, Warner Media into its uh, wireless and, and fixed uh, operations was like trying to mix oil and water. And I, I was reading through the article um, and that line hit me and it, it joined a dot that I'd seen earlier in the week, uh, which is when I discovered that uh, people who are lactose intolerant, who crave hot chocolate, will emulsify mayonnaise in water and use that as a milk replacement, which is <laughs> very, very gross. Um, but somehow that still sounds a bit nicer than trying to vertically integrate uh, Warner Media into AT and T. Um, so yeah, uh, the the sort of past week has seen a few little uh, bits of bits and pieces come come to the fore. We had uh, John Malone, um, who is sort of the the spider at the centre of this web, um, revealing that Comcast had been sort of kicking the tyres, um, looking at Discovery to sort of acquire it as well. And of course, Comcast famously missed out on. Um, on uh, uh, 20th Century Fox, uh, which went with um, Disney, of course, and that led to the weird uh, Sky transaction. Um, and then the sort of subtext to that is that pending, you know, regulatory um, kind of opinion, uh, it looks like Comcast will try and um, sort of offload NBC and join the Warner Disco party, uh, which would lead to this sort of weird triumvirate. Um, but the the sort of questions of that, I, I don't think there'll be anything quick to happen on that front because weirdly Comcast seems to be like fairly stable um, in terms of having NBCU. Um, it never really got um, hit with the same uh, flack that AT&T attracted um, with the Warner Media purchase. So that is pro- well, it's on the cards and it it just seems a bit inevitable. Um, I think so. That would then lead to a, a very sort of strange. Uh, kind of international pileup where you've got to um, sort of consolidate Peacock and HBO Max and Discovery Plus. Um, internationally, uh, Peacock and Comcast don't have much of a reputation um, except when the customer service debacles go viral. Um, and HBO internationally doesn't have the same uh, reputation that it enjoys uh, in the US because HBO um, is not really the outlet that consumers or, or viewers are familiar with because those titles are presented through um, different you know, carriers uh, in each market. So in the UK, Game of Thrones is most closely associated with Sky. Um, and, and now TV. So trying to bring that to sort of an international market could be a bit fiddly. Um, AT&T, of course, is, is pocketing a, a nice sum of money, but it's still a 70% uh, shareholder in, in Warner Disco. Um, we don't have an official name for Warner Disco yet, but that is quite a fun name, so I'm, I'm quite happy to stick with it. But they're sort of promising a, a $20 billion um, annual content budget uh, and that library is, is of course, massive. But then the other thing that happened in the past kind of week is that the uh, bloke who heads up 
um, Warner Disco, uh, Zaslav, um, lots of, you know, uh, uh, anonymous but on the record comments uh, about his leadership style. Um, you know, he's very shouty, um, uh, likes to swear at underlings, um, but he, he see, also seems um, extremely loyal. Uh, if he likes you and your content, he'll he'll pay whatever you like. Um, but uh, I saw lots of doubts that he's suited to the the scripted world um, because, of course, the discovery is played in the in this sort of reality and documentary sort of space for for quite a long time. Um, and Zaslav at one point was boasting. Um, that an hour of content uh, and discovery would, would only cost about 400 grand, uh, whereas the scripted world, it's you know something more like 5 million. So he was boasting about how cheap it was. Uh, and the question there is, you know, can you come around? Can you sort of convert uh, your way of thinking to embrace the sort of high cost of, of running scripted uh, operations? So, yeah, it's, it's sort of settling, con- consolidating, congealing, maybe like that mayonnaise. Um, and we'll sort of see how it, how it plays out. Uh, over the next few months um but yeah that's that's it really for for the, the long form stuff we'll now move into the the worth noting section and of course as is tradition uh we will look at uh five years ago today so rafi what was happening oh i'm just thinking about congealing mayonnaise now but uh, <laughs> but f- five years ago this week uh viacom looked like it was going through quite a rough patch um it's recently deposed well ex-chairman sumner redstone uh still seemed to be dragging his heels from the old people's home wherever he was and there was a growing cast of voices calling for uh, viacom to embrace the internet and streaming including redstone's daughter shari who was a 20 percent shareholder in national amusements which is viacom's parent company um so shari was the the latest essentially to hop on the i don't know hop on the bus of people uh criticizing viacom and it's really tired strategy uh, Viacom have been anti-internet since its $1 billion legal action against YouTube uh, in the 2000s when much of its prized content had found its way onto the website. Uh, and kind of since then, it had been quite bitter about getting involved in OTT and had only really licensed its content to other services. And well, it had had a hand in launching Boot in India, but nothing in any of the, you know, the, the high ARPU markets. Um, and this stasis was made even more apparent because its media cousin, CBS, had Base was leading the way at the time uh, in 2016 with CBS All Access. So many were just calling for the two to finally merge once again and to get a grip with OTT. And of course, after nearly four years of bickering, the merger was announced in 2019, but it took a very long time. You know, I don't know what's worse, congealing mayonnaise or Shari Redstone. (laughs) (laughs) She's been involved in some questionable practices about how she spent daddy's money and oh, accusations yeah. of bullying and all sorts she's she's a she's quite something it was an excellent long form like uh look at that that period i think it's in the hollywood reporter but just some of the stuff coming out of that that family was mad um, yep so yeah uh, four years four years to announce a merger that, that should have been done asap <laughs> wacky all right tommy anything else in the worth noting section yeah, well, I know we discussed it before we came on the podcast, but I'd like to bring everyone's attention to the shocking news that IBC has been moved to December. So my advice is to pack some warm clothes, wrap up warm down at the beach bar, and um, I'm already booked in for uh, early December. So we'll see you there. Yeah, uh, I just want to point out we had an update on the Vnova licensing terms. Um, you can check that out in Worth Noting. And then just a, a big old number, Russia's VOD market grew 66% last year. And uh, Roskino um, is, is pretty excited to sell Russian content to international distributors. So there's 500 execs apparently tuning into that one. 
Uh, all right then, chaps. Thank you very much. That was the end of the Fault Line uh, podcast for edition number 892. But for 893, Tommy, have we got anything lined up? Well, we've got to write 893 in two days next week, so that's <laughs> going to be tight. Uh, but yeah, I've got a call with nice people at work lined up for next week, which is the uh, QOE video analytics firm. So looking forward to that. Excellent stuff. Alrighty then, so head to rethinkresearch.biz to uh, check out Faultline. You can get a four-week free trial there. You can take a look at uh, Rethink TV. We've got the exec summaries up there. Um, you can find us on the usual social media channels. Please share and review this podcast. Um, and yeah, reach out if you've got anything juicy you want to tell us about. We're always up for a, a little off-the-record chat. Um, so sweet. Alright, I will catch you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> Cheers. See ya.